The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Wall Street picking up the pieces after yesterday's slide. Big tech taking it on the chin. It's worst day in nearly a year. Traders still figuring out today. Futures, they are mixed. The focus remains on the Fed, rising rates, and confusion over exactly how it's going to ever unwind its $8 trillion balance sheet. D.C. on high alert, one year after the January 6th insurrection, President Biden set to address America today. And a closer look at what's really going on inside hospitals from for COVID to with COVID. And as they fill up and hardworking frontline medical workers start to burn out, where do we go from here? It is Thursday, January 6th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you might be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us here once again on CNBC. Let's kick off your Thursday money with stock futures, and they are not giving us much help on how the major indexes will trade today. They are mixed. Dow futures up a tick. NASDAQ and S&P down just a tick. So let's set the stage. The Dow is coming off a nearly 400-point loss. It's First down day of the new year. That after the December Fed meeting minutes indicated they may begin to raise interest rates as soon as March. And maybe more importantly to the markets, the Fed may also begin to cut its balance sheet at the same time. And parts of the market remain confused over exactly how the Fed is going to manage to pull that off and the impact it will have on trying to clear more than $8 trillion off its books. While blue chips were hit hard, technology stocks were hit even harder. The NASDAQ having its worst day since February. And we talked about this earlier in the week, something Morgan Stanley highlighted. The risk of that concentration of just a few stocks having so much weight and power over the indexes. Wednesday, a perfect example of just that. Look at this. This is the point value impact of just a few stocks on the NASDAQ 100 yesterday. Microsoft accounting for 59 points of the drop, followed by Apple, Tesla, Meta, Alphabet, and Amazon. In other words, even if those were the only five stocks to go down out of 100, it's likely the index would have fallen anyway. Now, if it was a hard day for the NASDAQ, still an even harder day for the poster child of tech stocks. That is the Kathy Wood Arc Innovation ETF. It dropped more than 7%, its worst day since September. Its top holdings include names you know, like the aforementioned Tesla, Roku, Teladoc, Zoom, Spotify, and Coinbase. Now, outside of stocks, it's also about rates and treasuries, getting ahead of what is likely to be the Fed's first rate hike, maybe as early as March. A two-year note hitting its highest level since March of last year. Ten-year, sitting at its highest level since April of 2021. Oil is also on the move higher, sitting at November 2021 highs. And this morning, crude continues to creep back closer to 80 bucks a barrel. One reason, 
Super cold weather in North Dakota and parts of Canada is hurting oil flows, even as inventories remain on the lower side. All right, that's what's happening here. Let's find out what's going on around the world. Asia followed the U.S. lead to the downside, with the Japanese Nikkei seeing its worst day in six months. Not helping my prediction about Japan this year, but we got a long way to go. And Europe, just a few hours into its trading day. Let's get a check on the early action. Juliana Tattlebaum in our London newsroom. Good morning, Juliana. Brian, good morning. Well, I'll just pick up on Asia there. We did see the Asian markets generally follow what we saw on Wall Street yesterday with the Nikkei 225 ending 2.9% lower. The Shanghai Composite over in mainland China dropping about a quarter of a percent. And in Australia, that market dropped about 2.7%. We did interestingly see a little bit more resilience in the Hong Kong market with the Hang Seng up about 0.7%. But worth bearing in mind, in the previous session, we saw a very steep sell-off in the Hong Kong market. As for Europe, yesterday Yesterday, the stock 600 closed up shop before those FOMC minutes came through, driving the sell-off in U.S. stocks. So this morning, a little bit of a catch-up trade taking place here in Europe. We've got red across the board. The FTSE MIB over in Italy leading the losses down 1.2 percent. Uh, the most resilient part of the market, the FTSE 100, down about seven-tenths of a percent. The U.K. market overexposed to those so-called value stocks. So perhaps that's what's driving the resilience there. And from a sector perspective, this is what the breakdown looks like in Europe. Following suit with what you saw on Wall Street, technology underperforming this morning, down 2.4%. The more resilient parts of the European market, banks, autos, insurance, and basic resources. So those more value-oriented stocks are proving more resilient than the broader market this morning. Brian? Yeah, still a lot of red behind you, though, Juliana. A lot of red there. Thank you very much. Definitely. All right, so why don't we continue and broaden out the market discussion now. Your next guest says that while this year still looks promising overall from a fundamental level, she does not expect volatility to go away just yet. Aaron Gibbs is Chief Investment Officer at Main Street Asset Management and joins us nice and early, Aaron, and we do appreciate it. Thanks very much. Uh, what do you make of the first couple of days of this year? It's been eventful. Certainly, the market seems to have been taken a bit aback by the Federal Reserve balance sheet news. What's your take? I think this is somewhat expected. I was actually surprised on how strong we finished the, the last week of December. I, I think uh, that 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 last bit of rally, perhaps investors are, are starting to say, oh, we, we've actually got some headwinds here. Uh, and certainly the Fed, uh, you know, confirming that we might see rates uh, rates as early as March, uh, maybe perhaps is, is a bit surprising. But uh, you know, anytime we talk about higher rates, you always see a, a bit of a pullback on the on the markets. Um, but I think overall, you know, we are in a pretty good position for the year. So with the first quarter might be a little uh, concerning. We know that uh, we've seen some of the estimates for the first quarter revised down. We've seen some GDP growth revised down um, because of this last variant of COVID. But for the year, uh, we're actually seeing profit estimates go up very consistently over the past two months. Uh, so right now we're looking at about eight and a half percent growth for the S&P 500, eleven and a half percent growth for the S&P 600. These are good numbers. These are the type of numbers that uh, are profit growth that we've seen back in 2014 mm-hmm. to 2017. Um, and those were very good years for the stock market. So um, though we do have, just like you're talking about, these mega caps that really have a lot of weight are very highly valued. Um, overall, the fundamentals for the full year uh, look very good uh, for, for going at into 2022. 
Well, right now, we've been talking about the Fed and this balance sheet reduction. But you and I know, Aaron, that the financial markets have the attention span of a pigeon. It's not very long. Right now, we're focused on the Federal Reserve. You're talking fundamentals. Do you think the narrative, sooner than later, is going to switch from the Fed, we're all going to get over that shock or whatever, and start focusing on things like corporate earnings and earnings growth? <laughs> well, as an investor, I, I would certainly hope so. Uh, but yeah, look, I think this story of supply chain issues, inflation, the Fed, um, it's very likely that we're going to see that in the headlines for the first half of the year. And when we look at inflation expectations, we still expect some increases and, and at very high levels of inflation uh, for the first two quarters. Uh, and so that's another part of my prediction is that um, though the full year looks good, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of volatility because these types of headlines around uh, the Fed, around inflation, around supply chain mm -hmm. issues, uh, that's going to continue. And so the past few years, if they haven't already felt rather volatile and, and extreme and, and stomach churning for investors, you might expect that for another six months. Uh, and so that's where we're trying yeah, to Yeah, they've been stomach I would say they have been stomach churning, Aaron, but they've also churned higher. It's like if you can just weather some of these big VIX days and big, it's, that's how the market is nowadays. You kind of just chug up, fall a lot, chug up, fall a lot. It's kind of the new market paradigm. Uh, when we talk about the Fed, we talk about inflation. Inflation gets a bad name. Inflation can be good for certain types of assets. Would inflation mean pricing power for, say, the small cap, mostly domestic focused stocks? Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, they could be very positive. The downside is that if interest rates really get higher, they could weigh on the valuations of small caps. Now, fortunately, small caps are already so lowly valued uh, compared to the mega caps. They're actually in a very good position uh, that uh, as long as we get past, as long as we get a little more certainty around interest rates, uh, they could really be the outperformers for the year. Uh, and so we're we're looking at that very carefully. I think within the, the first half of the year, uh, probably we'll still see that continued outperformance uh, within the, the large caps. Um, and once we get a better and a clearer idea of what the Fed's going to do for the year, um, that's when those small caps could really outperform. Aaron Gibbs of Main Street Asset Management. We are keeping our eyes square on those small cap stocks. Aaron, thank you very much. Have a great day. Have a happy new year. We'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. In the meantime, we have got a few big corporate headlines to get to on this Thursday morning. AT&T's WarnerMedia and Viacom CBS are reportedly exploring a sale of a significant stake or all of their jointly owned CW network. According to the Wall Street Journal, Nexstar Group is among the most likely suitors. Nexstar is already a large owner of CW local affiliates. A journal says a deal could be just days away, but talks could also fall apart. The flight mare continues for travelers. Nearly 1,700 more flights were canceled yesterday. That is the 11th straight day of 1,000-plus cancellations and the industry's worst stretch since the beginning of the pandemic. This morning, more than 1,400 flights U.S.-bound have already been scrapped, with another 600 preemptively canceled tomorrow. Carriers have now canceled more than 22,000 flights since Christmas Eve. In other words, if you are flying, check your flight before you pack the kids in the car to go to Newark Airport. 
And apparel chain operator Authentic Brands withdrawing plans for an American IPO. Company did not give a reason for shelving its listing, but in November, the company, which owns things like Forever 21, Juicy Couture, and Nautica, agreed to sell a big stake to private equity firms CBC Partners and HPS Investment Partners and the deal that valued it at nearly $13 billion, including debt, so they're doing just fine. All right, we hope you're doing just fine this early morning. We've got a lot more to do when we come back. The numbers don't lie. The one thing some of the worst-performing tech stocks now have in common, RBC's Lori Calvacina is here to weigh in. And shocking new news on crypto cybercrime in 2021. Eamon Jabber is here to lay out just how bad it's gotten. Later on, President Biden set to address America Today on the one-year anniversary of the U.S. Capitol insurrection. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. All right, welcome back. Well, 2021 was a record-breaking year for many things. Some of them good, some of them not so good. And one thing just downright bad was the huge jump in cryptocurrency thefts. Do you know where your Bitcoin are? We know where Eamon Javers is, joining us now with the numbers and exactly what the heck is going on with all this crypto theft. Eamon, good morning. Good morning, Brian. That's right. A whopping $3.2 billion worth of crypto was stolen last year, according to the firm Chainalysis. Now, that is a 516% increase over the year before. It's a huge number, and so is this. 72% of the stolen funds were taken from so-called DeFi platforms. Those are the decentralized finance services with no central exchange authority. Now, Chainalysis explained that's because DeFi is such a fast-growing segment of the cryptocurrency environment, and many developers have not put in, enough pla- put in place enough security, even as many investors are piling in without doing enough homework on the services themselves. So overall, a stunning $14 billion from all sources, including ransomware, terror financing, darknet markets, and others went to illicit addresses last year. That's according to Chainalysis. Now, they were also able to calculate the total crypto war chest held by these illicit addresses, and they're associated with criminal activity. That figure, $10 billion worth, fueled by the crime itself and the increasing value of the criminal's crypto assets. Chainalysis says the fact that public and law enforcement can see those funds is actually good news. Take a listen. Sometimes you might think that if you've been hacked or a victim of a ransomware attack, those funds are gone. But actually, we can see them sitting over there in that wallet. And we might be able to see which exchange they go to, and then you can freeze the funds. 
One other piece of good news here, Brian, uh, even as the total crypto thefts are increasing, the percentage of overall crypto activity associated with crime is actually going down. And that's because of the enormous increase in legitimate crypto transactions. So as a proportion, the criminal stuff gets smaller and smaller over time. Back over to you. Eamon, do we know where these crooks are coming from? We don't. I mean, it generally, you're talking about gangs that operate out of Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Republic. But we've seen criminals all over the world in every continent, uh, as even as far away as, as North Korea. We've seen some weird cyber uh, and crypto hacking going on. So there's there's a lot of this around the world. Uh, and what Chainalysis is able to do here is total up uh, all of the theft they've seen. Now, we don't know that this is everything because they might have missed a few things, but this is as comprehensive a report as you're yeah. going to get. Quickly, any words of advice for maybe budding crypto buyers watching or listening right now on how to preserve their assets? Well, one thing is if you're using DeFi, one of the things that you want to do is make sure that that DeFi platform has been security audited by a third party. You also probably want to make sure that there's information about the founders of the DeFi system. You can figure out who these people are who are backing this uh, somewhere on the Internet. You know, if you're using an anonymous DeFi that has not been audited before, you know, that might be a recipe for disaster. Decentralized finance, one of the buzz phrases of the last year or so. Eamon Javers, an important story. Eamon, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All right, on deck, your morning RBI and where all of you are moving to and also getting out of. And as we head to break, it is early in the year, but it's already been a rough start for many big-name stocks, particularly Salesforce.com, down 10% in just three days. Those are your big three Dow laggards so far in 2022. Right now, Dow futures are actually up just a touch, and we're back right after this. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome or welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Well, today marks the one-year anniversary since the deadly January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. NBC's Vanita Nair joining us with a look at what is planned across America for today. Vanita. Good morning to you. Well, it will be a day of reflection in our nation's capital, marking one year since the deadly insurrection. Washington, D.C. is on a high alert for the anniversary. A senior U.S. intelligence official tells NBC News there has been an uptick in calls for unspecified acts of violence over the past 48 hours. President Biden is scheduled to deliver remarks at 9 a.m., kicking off a series of events, including testimony from members of Congress and a prayer vigil on the Capitol steps. 
Novak Djokovic's chance at repeating as Australian Open champion may have hit the net. One day after announcing he had a medical exemption from Australia's strict vaccination guidelines, the country denied his entry and cancelled his visa. The Australian Border Force said in a statement that it did not accept the exemption and that the tennis star did not meet requirements to enter the country. In a tweet, Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison said rules are rules and no one is above the country's COVID rules. The 64th annual Grammy Awards show has officially been postponed amid a resurgence of COVID cases and the risks of the Omicron variant. This is the second time the ceremony has been delayed because of the pandemic. It was set to take place at Los Angeles's Crypto.com arena. And it is a lucky day for a pair of lottery players. Powerball confirming two winning tickets, one in California and one in Wisconsin. This was the seventh largest jackpot in history, worth $632 million. Not a bad payday. Brian, back to you. That's not a bad way to end your day or start your morning if you find out, Vanita. Exactly. And now you know where to look if you're in those states. Yeah, exactly. Wisconsin and California, you go. Congrats to them. Vanita, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, on deck, breaking down the Fed fracas. Lori Calvacin is here with what you need to know about why the Federal Reserve surprised the market and also why one group of stocks may still be worth your hard-earned money right now. And if you haven't already, check out our podcast. It's on all the major platforms, and we are back right after this. Waking up to Wall Street whiplash. Big tech with a big black eye to start the year. Futures, though, now they are holding steady. They say, don't fight the Fed. Well, tech tried and lost with the double gut punch of rate hikes and big time asset sales ahead. And frontline healthcare worker burnout, a new cause for concern. We will speak with one Los Angeles ER doctor live. What he is really seeing on the ground right now. It is January 6th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Thursday morning, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. I am Brian Sullivan. Hope you have a great start to your day. Grab another cup of coffee. We have got a lot to do. Well, here's how stock futures are looking. And we are about 530 here in the New York area. Futures, they are mixed, not giving you a lot of indication of which way this market wants to go. Although I will say that S&P futures have ticked in the green. In other words, it doesn't look like, at least now, at least now anything can change that we're going to see a follow-through on the selling that we saw yesterday, particularly accelerating yesterday afternoon. If you need some reason to be in a good mood this morning, I suppose that's it. Well, yesterday, investors really got kind of a double gut punch from the Fed. The Fed saying not only could it start to raise rates earlier than expected, we kind of somewhat actually expected that, but also could start to trim its $8 trillion balance sheet. That news and exactly how the Fed might pull that off caught some investors off guard. The Nasdaq and big tech, their worst day since February of last year. Rising interest rates matter to many stocks because higher rates can eat into higher valuations. If you need an example of how that works, here you go. The four worst stocks in the Nasdaq 100 this year all have one big thing in common. We're going to show you their forward P.E. ratios, and see if you can discern anything. These are the four worst names in the NASDAQ 100. The forward P.E. ratio of Zscaler, 536. Data Dog, 287. Atlassian, 189. And Mercado Libre, 131. High valuations, 
high rates, not a great combo. Now, obviously, while the big tech beatdown is a huge story for the markets, there is a lot of stocks and groups that are higher on the year. In fact, our old favorite energy, it's having a huge week. It's already up nearly 7%. Oh, and the banks on the prospect of higher rates, they like it. The financials up 2.5%. Well, speaking of yields, they're ticking higher once again. In fact, back above 1.7%. Been quite a seismic shift for bond yields so far this year. Not so for crypto. Bitcoin back below $43,000. So a big, a really big shift in the first four days so far of the year. And let's talk more about it. Joining us now, RBC Capital Markets, head of U.S. equity strategy, Lori Calvacina. Lori, great to have you on again. Um, thought it might be kind of a sleepy start to the year. It has been anything but... Interest rates are on the rise. The Fed kind of surprising us. What do you make so far of 2022? Well, look, it's anything but easy. And I think a lot of people wanted an easier start to the year. It looks like we're just not going to get it. I think we're continuing a big theme that we were starting to digest back in December, which is the more aggressive actions from the Federal Reserve than what equity investors would prefer. And, you know, one thing we see over time, Brian, it's not just a function of the last few months, but over time, when the 10-year yield is rising, expensive stocks tend to underperform cheap stocks. That is exactly what's going on right now. Tech is really the home to some of your most expensive valuations in the market, as you pointed out earlier. But financials and energy, those two sectors that you mentioned that are doing so well to start the year, that's what's really populating the bucket of cheapest stocks in the market right now. So if you look at just look at it just by the numbers, the price action is actually very, very rational. Throw in the fact that growth has been expensive if you look at the asset manager data on the CFT futures positioning, and you've got a recipe for a fierce unwind, and that's simply what we're going through right now. It's just a repricing. That's kind of what we tried to highlight with those names. And obviously, Lori, those were extreme. I mean, not the companies, but those valuations. But is that a lesson right now to, to our viewers and your clients that if you own these really high growth, high valuation names, just be careful? I think that's right. And I, I think the issue here, right, is fundamentals don't always drive the price action. And equity investors hate it when I say things like that. But that is simply the truth. Um, if huh. you think about fundamentals in terms of the, the specific companies themselves, right, there are a lot of great businesses that are going to get caught up in this repricing. And as an investor, I think you have to decide are you more near-term focused, more intermediate-term focused, where this repricing will create some pain? Or are you longer-term focused? If you're really a longer-term investor, you may be able to ride this out and pick up some bargains. Um, but if you do care about the next few months, um, this is going to be an area of pain for perhaps a bit longer. You know, it's not just your clients or equity investors. TV viewers also hate it when you say stuff like that as well. But it is true, Lori, <laughs> and sometimes you got to have the hard yeah. truth. There's nothing wrong with that. All right, so if we're in this environment of rate shifting and the Fed trying to unwind, I don't know how they're going to do it, but try to unwind an eight-plus trillion-dollar balance sheet, what do we invest in now? Well, look, I think some of the areas of the market that have been working this year, financials and energy, are still very inexpensive, and there is still value there. As long as that valuation opportunity is still in place, those are good areas to look at. I mean, I think other areas, if you're just looking from a strict valuation perspective, we've been getting a lot of questions on things like consumer staples, which has been out of favor and hated for quite a long time. I'm neutral there, but the valuations admittedly are pretty tempting. And another cyclical sector that looks interesting on a valuation side right now is material. Materials. materials is also interesting if supply chain pressures ease later this year, as a lot of investors have expected. So there are bits and pieces that you can look at. But frankly, Brian, they just may be bits and pieces of the market that investors haven't wanted to look at for a number of years. 
Yeah, what are those best parts, Lori? Give us some actionable advice to start our 2022. Well, look, I would say in addition to all the sectors we just talked about, small caps um, are deeply undervalued relative small to large caps. caps. And, they, and they didn't have a great day yesterday, um, but they have had some nice moves over the past couple of weeks on days where the market has gotten more confidence that we're going to get through the Omicron variant without any real damage to the economy. So if you're feeling pretty good about the economic backdrop, and I personally think that we will come out of this Omicron episode with a healthy economy intact, that's another area that's frankly been ignored for the past few years um, that you really can find some interesting valuation opportunity, including in things like financials and consumer stocks. Are you a believer then in the financials? We've seen them tick up as rates have ticked up, but we all know, Lori, there's no way that interest rates are going to keep rising at this pace. If so, we'd have a 4% you know, 10-year yield yeah. by mid-March. So this was probably the shift. Can we still find some value in banks and financials? So look, the, the, the hard truth with financials, and we'll talk about another hard truth here, is that they are not going to outperform if the 10-year yield is not rising. That is simply how they trade. Our rate strategy team thinks the 10-year yield can move up to about 2.2% by later this year. So there's still some runway here, but we do tell people with financials, we do think it's a trade. And we do expect by mid-year, we're going to see some of the valuation opportunity uh, pulled out of the financials. We'll probably be getting closer to the end of the increase in the 10-year yield if our rate strategy team is right. And then that might actually be the time to pivot back towards some of these growth and tech stocks that are getting so beaten up right now. So I wouldn't get too comfortable there for a multi-year period, but I think we'll have a nice trade there between now and mid-year. Always nice having you on the program. Nice and early, Lori Calvacina, REC Capital <laughs> Markets. We're watching the small caps, some of the banks, Lori, always with the hard talk, and we appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> always. All right, now to some of this morning's top corporate headlines. And Pfizer expects to have new data from a COVID vaccine trial on kids under the age of five by April last month. The company said it was changing the trial to give a third dose to younger set of patients at least eight weeks after their last vaccination. Pfizer also studying a booster shot for kids aged five to six or five to 11, rather six months after their second dose. Hasbro naming a new CEO three months after its longtime chief passed away, Chris Cox, We'll assume the top job on February 25th. He currently serves as president and COO of the company's Wizards of the Coast and Digital Gaming Division. And an Uber rider stuck in the I-95 shutdown in Virginia this week has been refunded his $600 bill. The Richmond man was returning from California, took an Uber from Dulles Airport, saying he did not understand the severity of the travel situation before he got in the car. I hope he still tipped the driver. Not the driver's fault. All right. Let's stay now squarely on the pandemic because another tough day for parents and kids in Chicago. Schools there remain closed for a second day as the teachers union continues to hold out against the mayor. In the meantime, COVID positive hospitalizations are also continuing to rise across America. However, ICUs do remain emptier than in previous waves. The increase comes as the data out of the Bureau of Labor Statistics details the level of burnout in healthcare workers with people in that category quitting their jobs at a rate of 3% in November. That is the highest ever quit rate for the healthcare sector. And that number has steadily increased since the beginning of 2021. Of course, some of that might be coming from people rejecting the vaccine mandate, but otherwise, it has just been a tough, tough 20 months. Joining us now, is Dr. Michael Daniel. He is an emergency physician at Providence St. Joseph Medical Center 
in Los Angeles. It is live. Doctor, I don't know whether to say good morning or good evening. I know it's 2.30 or whatever in the morning. Thank you. It's an incredibly important conversation. You and I have been going back and forth a bit on Twitter, reading your op-eds in the Washington Post and elsewhere. What are you and your team seeing on the ground in your hospitals right now? Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Um, You know, as you mentioned at the outset here, I mean, ICUs are definitely not as full as they were last winter. I mean, I remember last winter during uh, the winter surge that we had in L.A., when L.A. was essentially the the epicenter of the pandemic, we actually had an extra doc scheduled at night from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., either an ER doc, a pulmonologist, or an anesthesiologist who would respond to all the code blues in the hospital of admitted uh, COVID patients in the ICU and telemetry floor that went to cardiac arrest or respiratory arrest. And, uh, you know, a lot of us still have a lot of PTSD from that. And, you know, we certainly don't want to go back to that to that state. And so right now we're certainly seeing a lot of patients admitted who may require some oxygen for a few days. But, you know, Bloomberg released an article earlier this week that only, you know, 64 percent of the ICUs are filled with COVID patients relative to last year. So it's definitely an improvement. We had an, an interview with uh, Dr. Sharif El Nahal of University Hospital in Newark yesterday, and we asked him a direct question and said, <clears throat> what percentage of your COVID patients are there for COVID or with COVID? Doctor, I don't need to tell you. This is a big debate right now. The governor of New York State is talking about better hospital accounting. How do we know who's exactly there? What levels are you seeing with COVID for COVID? Yeah, Brian, I mean, this has been, you know, one of my one of my pet peeves lately. And, you know, the United States has always been weakest on data relative to other countries. And this is certainly an area right now where we really need to figure out what is going on with hospitalizations. We saw in South Africa, we saw in the UK that there was a decoupling between cases of covid and hospitalizations. And then we saw, you know, multiple six lab studies that showed that Omicron was not as effective as getting into the lung tissue as, say, Delta and previous variants. And so I think we expected to see that similar decoupling between cases and hospitalizations here. And starting with New York, we weren't seeing that. And then that led me and, you know, Dr. Monica Gandhi to start investigating and try to figure out why aren't we seeing this? And I think one of the possible reasons, in addition to us still having a bit of uh, a Delta surge earlier on uh, in November and December that contributed to hospitalizations was that our data is not great. We don't particularly differentiate between who is admitted primarily for COVID or who just happens to test positive. I mean, we test every admitted patient from the ER using a PCR test, which, as you know, could be positive any time in the last 90 days and begs the question whether we should actually be doing rapid tests in the ER as well. And so, you know, the L.A. County hospitals last week released that report that two thirds of patients admitted were for incidental COVID. And so I really think it's really important. We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to our policymakers to have a better idea of um, the hospitalization data, particularly who is requiring ICU level care and who is just requiring a, a monitored telemetry bed, for example. Well, it's an excellent point, because what we have learned about PCR testing, which I guess they're considered the gold standard, is that they can stay positive, to your point, doctor, for months after you're basically not infected and you're not spreading the virus, but you have a tiny amount in your nose. But let me ask this. Maybe it's a stupid question. If I come in with a broken knee from a skiing accident in Big Bear, why am I being tested for COVID anyway? 
Yeah, it's just a, it's just hospital policy across the country that we like to keep people who are positive in uh, certain floors, different parts of the hospital, just to just to keep the cohorts the same. Um, that's just been the policy throughout COVID. But you know, your your example is an excellent one, um, where you know there was a traumatic accident. We know that if you test positive, it's probably not contributing to your hospitalization. Now that being said, certainly in the ER, it's just a snapshot in time of a patient's experience and. If they get admitted to the hospital and during the course of that hospital visit, the admitting hospitalist physicians determine that a patient's congestive heart failure or acute COPD exacerbation was caused by that COVID infection, then those numbers can be updated. This is a dynamic process. And so I think that's what we need these hospitalization data to better reflect. And there's not much. I've, I've been trying. I don't know if you follow me on social media. I think you do, doctor. I've been trying to dig through the data on this. My wife is basically ready to commit me because she's like, you're obsessed with this. I think it's an important thing. I mean, the headlines and the, to be frank, the TV media is a hospitalization soaring. Well, we just need to know why and, and what for Iowa, North Dakota, really the only two states that break it out. Tennessee yesterday said they're going to stop reporting daily cases and hospitalizations at all. They're going to go to a weekly model. Let me ask you this, doctor. What can we in the media do better about reporting on this and understanding this? Because I'm trying and it's hard. Yeah, I think what you're doing, I think, you know, especially on, on the social media with Twitter and pointing and I'm doing the same is pointing out who is leading us in in giving accurate hospitalization data. Like you mentioned, the, the governor of New York calling for proper accounting, the other states that you mentioned, um, certain healthcare systems and hospitals reporting data saying these patients are admitted primarily for COVID and these are incidentals. Um, UCSF has a great system where they actually go even further and differentiate who is admitted to ICU and within that, who is requiring mechanical ventilation. I mean, this has very important considerations for hospital administrators as far as staffing. I mean, you talked earlier in in your broadcast about this, the burnout issue that we're having. And, you know, if patients, if we're having less COVID patients this winter requiring mechanical ventilation, that means that you don't have to worry about overstaffing respiratory therapists who are a critical component of managing patients on the vent. And we want to make sure that ICU nurses don't go above that um, two patient per nurse uh, maximum that they're supposed to have. So this is data that, you know, everybody could use. And, and to your point, it's a shame that it's so decentralized. You think, I mean, Amazon knows what you and I want to buy before we even do, you think that we could get this hospitalization data down to a science where we can really, truly figure this out. But we do appreciate your on-the-ground reporting. Appreciate more the work you do as an emergency room physician, doctor. Thank you. I'll let you get some sleep. But we really appreciate you staying up for this late conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, you're very welcome, Dr. Michael Daniel, joining us live from California at 2.40 or whatever a.m. By the way, he's got an op-ed coming out in the next day or two. Check it out. All right, coming up. Who needs a house out in Hackensack? Because is, is that all you get for your money? A new report in the state seen the most people pack up and move out. And that Billy Joel song just gave you a big hint. Stick around. All right, time for today's most... There we go. Hi, everybody. There's your crypto board. We are seeing cryptos 
They are down again today. Bitcoin falling back below 43,000 as well. It's been a rough run for tech stocks so far in 2022 and a bit of a rough run for many of the cryptos. What about the so-called meme stocks this week? The AMCs, the GameStops of the world as well. Well, they have had a rough go. You've seen higher rates taking their toll and their impact on these high valuation sort of gambling type companies. Watch those names as well. All right, time now for today's most random but interesting thing. And today, let us back up the truck. Not the investing truck, the moving truck. Because United Van Lines is out with its annual American Movers study, highlighting where people are leaving and where they're going. And as New Jersey residents, we are sad to say the Garden State once again is number one of the places people are leaving. Here are the top five outbound states, the states with the highest percentage of people moving out versus moving in. See if you can spot a trend. Ready? Here we go. The top outbound states for 2021, New Jersey, 71% of its moves were out. Fourth year in a row, New Jersey's held that, quote, title. Up next, Illinois, then New Jersey's neighbor to the north, New York, then New York's neighbor to the northeast, Connecticut, and rounding out the top five. California, which people apparently can't flee fast enough. Notice any trends there? Expensive, high taxes, etc. All right. So where are people going? Well, this is actually a little surprising. According to United Van Lines, the top inbound state was Vermont. 74% of moves inbound. Probably people, to be fair, leaving Boston and other crowded areas. Number two, South Dakota. You want isolation? You got it. South Carolina, West Virginia, And of course, Florida, rounding out the top five. Study does say what's probably obvious, less densely crowded areas saw more people coming in, of course, escaping crowds and people, or maybe folks are just looking for a better or different or less hectic lifestyle. Either way, New Jersey, don't try to get a U-Haul out of state right now. Random, but true. All right, on deck, the great rotation. We are seeing a transition in stocks that investors want to own But could that change get sloppy? Mike Santoli on that next. Stick around. All right. Welcome back, everybody. The Nasdaq suffering its worst day since last February. Investors dumping many shares of technology companies that soared during the pandemic because their valuation soared as well. And the prospect of higher rates sparking perhaps a great rotation out of super high valuations and into just value stocks that are more linked up to the economic recovery. Look at this chart, courtesy of the Financial Times. It shows the Goldman Sachs non-profitable tech index, who even knew that existed, but it tracks returns of loss-making companies, names like Snowflake, Farfetch, Cloudflare, and Moderna. That index is down almost 10% so far this year, versus the 1.4% drop in the S&P 500 and Goldman's reopening index, which is names of companies that, you know, are tied to reopening, but also make money, Boeing, Marriott, and mall owner Simon Property. That is all up. You know who else is up? Mike Santoli, CNBC senior markets commentator, joining us here on Worldwide Exchange, Mike, and we appreciate it. So these high valuation loss-making companies have gotten crushed. So-called value names have gone up, but can this last? 
Well, first of all, it has lasted for a while. That unprofitable tech index peaked in the early part of 2021. Um, So it definitely has been this downside momentum that's been the big feature of it, which is more or less undoing uh, what what it did on the way up. And it sort of very closely mirrors like the ARK Innovation Fund. Can it last? I think the market in general, yes, can continue repricing across stocks, across bonds, across different styles of stocks for a reaccelerating real economy. That's kind of what's going on along with, I think, some deferred profit taking in the very largest once bulletproof Nasdaq names, right? Microsoft was already headed down every day this week, well, the last couple of days, before we got the Fed uh, minutes yesterday. Uh, the, the vaccine stocks I don't, as I don't well. Know if, yeah, Mike, I don't know if we have the graphic. We showed it at the top of the show, and it showed the Nasdaq 100 point index drop. Basically, the the Microsofts you mentioned, Apple, Amazon, and this idea of this Uber concentration among these super cap companies that if they get hit, even if 490 or 195, whatever stocks go up, but those five go down, it's going to be hard for any index to rise. If those stocks don't participate, what happens to the market? Well, as measured by the index, the market gets stymied then. Um, but I, I wonder what people are complaining about when they complain about this. Would it be better if the S&P topped out at 4,500 instead of 4,800 uh, because those big stocks didn't perform very well? And now we're going down and we're kind of above 4,700 and maybe the average stock is doing better and industrials are up year to date and so are banks. So I think that when people say we think it should be a broadening market, this is what it looks like. It's just happening from a higher level. Yeah. I also would point out we've seen these rotations multiple times in the last couple of years. It's not always one way. There's always these uh, fits and starts. Well, you know, your point is well taken, Mike. And But here you say, who gives a honey badger, right? Here's, the, here's why they care. If I own the SPY, S&P 500 yeah. ETF, I care because five stocks go down, 495 go up, but the index stays flat or even goes down. I'm thinking, what the what's going on? Yeah. But... If I'm, a, if I'm in a different ETF or, God forbid, an actual single stock investor, you're right. I don't care what the s and RSP, equal weighted ETF, my outperforms the outperform year to date so far. Equal weighted S&P is outperforming the S&P. That's the kind of market maybe uh, we, we're, we're more in right now. Yeah, well, you get my point. I mean, we, and Jim yeah. talks about it, Kramer, all the time. If you own stocks... Do I, if, if Jim says buy these 10 stocks in his investing club and they go up, do I give a whatever what the S&P 500 does? No, no. but it's our headline. But by the way, last year was a great example of why indexing works. We never had as much of a 5% pullback. Every individual stock in the index had more than the index did. So the rotation can work. The diversification can work in certain types of markets. And again, would you rather repeat, the market top down at a lower that, level? Repeat that, that stat and fact on your big brain. Yeah. Every stock in the market last year had a bigger pullback than the S&P did itself. Every stock in the index. Think about that. It's really that, maybe that, that index to stock decoupling, but I'll save that for a segment on Squawk Box. Mike Santoli, appreciate it, brother. Thank right, you for you uh, coming on. Good discussion. All right, Mike makes a great point. Maybe it's actually a stock picker's market, folks. The index goes down, but your stocks go up. You're happy. I hope you're happy. We're happy. You're happy. Thanks for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk, Mike, and the gang. Pick it up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.